Welcome colleagues and friends. Today we will talk about delight or delight, such an important factor in our lives. Light is associated with warmth because light comes from fire. In the experience of man until the production of electricity, fire was always associated with light, except perhaps a few exceptions, such as sunrise, where light appeared before uh, the sun, and um, uh, certain other rare circumstances like lightning, the presumption for the men of the past was that there was a source of fire that created the light. Light <coughs> is extremely important in religious thinking. Light is the light of discernment. With the arrival of the light, you can see, not only can you separate and distinguish light and darkness, but you can distinguish different objects and different gradations of reality. So light in our language carries many associations. However, there is an obvious problem, such an obvious and big problem that I would posit that it was intentional. Uh, our general approach in this series has been that the Bible is trying to communicate certain lessons, but it communicates it in a way that penetrates into our unconscious and forms and shapes how we perceive the world, spirituality, religion, and God. And that it does this through a variety of techniques. One of them is setting up obvious contradictions that enroll us in the process of reconciliation. The picture that we then receive is more complex, more sophisticated, and immediately accepted because, hey, listen, we are the ones who reconciled it. We have a personal investment in the picture that results. So here the problem is that light was created on the first day, but the sun and the moon and the stars, the sources of light, were created on the fourth day. That is so obvious has been spoken about a great deal. We will try to address it with our methodology of what it tells. But first, let's do a very quick survey of various solutions. Uh, I will start with the rabbinic solution to this problem, and then we'll briefly review various Christian answers and come back for more analysis. Okay, so... <coughs> <clears throat> the light was created on the first day, but the sun, which is the source of all light in our known world, was created on the fourth day. So, what was this light? The rabbinic answer is it was not a physical light. Now, it may have produced some kind of illumination as well, but primarily it was some kind of a primeval light that was then removed from the world and saved for the righteous, for the world to come. Rashi brings this response. And there is a passage in Barashi's Rabbah, a Midrash, and this verses, 
saying that the light came from the hem of the rope of the Holy One. Uh, in other words, the concealment of God's presence in itself produced illumination, sort of like the black holes as they become impossible to see along the edges, they produce uh, a light that we can see. <clears throat> we'll come back to this and analyze its greater length. But here are some answers from Christian interpreters that I saw on the website called answersingenesis.org. St. Augustine thought that the initial light was provided by angels. Basil of Caesarea talked about the creation on the first day of the essence of the sun, but not its substance. The substance was created on the fourth day. The essence was present from the beginning and produced light. Ephraim the Syrian gives an interesting answer, which uh, I also found by one of the Jewish commentators. And he says that there was a pillar of fire. There was some independent source of light. This also solves the problem of how could there be light without fire. And on the fourth day, it was repurposed, reshaped into the sun. Hiskuni, a medieval German commentator, says something somewhat similar. He notes that there were three things created on the first day. <clears throat> and then each one brought out structures. So heaven was created on the first day. So on the second day, heaven brought out the firmament, rakia. Earth was created on the first day. It brought out foliage and plants on the third day. And light, light that was created on the first day, produced sun, moon, and stars on the fourth day. Shadal, a very interesting commentator that I would say skirted the border between traditional and non-traditional, but he lived in Italy, was the head of the Rabbinic Academy of Padua, and things were different in Italy. Since the time of Renaissance, Italian Jews were easily integrated into the surrounding culture and they did not go through the wrenching upheavals of the Enlightenment in the rest of Europe. <clears throat> so it was a different mentality altogether. But we'll talk about him another time. He was an interesting individual with an interesting approach. In this case, he seems to say that the reason for saying that light was created on the first day is was a polemical one, that really it was either created for a polemical reason, or perhaps it was created together with the sun and the moon. Uh, however, uh, the scripture wanted to separate light and sun. Why? Because many people in antiquity worshipped the sun, and it wanted to make a statement that precisely, as I mentioned before, warmth and light are separate. 
that the sun is a physical object that produces warmth, but light is God's own unique creation made at a separate time. Therefore, that fits with our approach uh, that it is what it tells, not what it says. The details are not so crucial. The, their position in the story, in the narrative which is proposed to us, is what's important. Kasuta notes that the structure of the sentence, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, right coming, coming right after the darkness and the face of the waters, places the development of the narrative in a way that is telling us that light is the antidote to darkness. He goes on to explain that a bit more, but <clears throat> that also makes a lot of sense. We need to be told that light is that which makes darkness be, because without contrast, there is no discernment. Without death, there is no life. Without evil, there is no good. Light is created to begin the process of separation. We will speak more about the process of separation as being especially integral to the worldview expressed in the creation story. But let's come back a little bit to the rabbinic viewpoint. So just to remind you, the rabbis said, well, yeah, on the first day there was light, the sun, moon, stars were on the fourth day, therefore the light we are seeing here is not the same light as this, that of the sun, of the moon, and of the stars. <coughs> I have to point out that the rabbis are really mining the information here. They're not looking at this at some, at, as sometimes we do in modern times as some kind of unfortunate and embarrassing contradiction that we have to explain away, but they're asking, what does this mean? And when you look at the background, as very often with rabbinic interpretation, you see how carefully uh, they consider the context. This is one of the great differences between rabbinic interpretation, Christian interpretation. Christians, uh, or at least the church fathers, uh, often, uh, majority, I'd say, uh, perhaps uh, with the exception of Jerome, uh, see uh, the Old Testament as an allegory. Therefore, the context is not important, and you can interpret verses and phrases uh, regardless of the Context. Rabbinic interpretation is extremely sensitive to local context, to distant context, by which I mean uh, the meaning of the words in other places, as well as the meaning of the idea expressed in this place, as compared to the perception of the idea defined in a different place. So what they, what I think they notice here is that there are only three times in creation. <clears throat> that it uses the formula, and God said, and it was. First one is right here. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6. 
And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of waters. And in the end of verse 7, it says, and it was so. Then, 14, oh, the verse about luminaries. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of heaven. And there were, and in verse 15, and there were lights, or luminaries, in the firmament of heaven. Don't find this anywhere else. The rest of the story is essentially about different things that were already in place, giving rise to various subcomponents, such as the earth bringing out the foliage and the like. So, these three things, why, why does light, luminaries and firmament deserve their own treatment and their own peculiar formula? Another question to ask is, what happened to the Spirit of God? It's Elohim. It's God who is creating. Uh, he, he speaks and things happen. Now, sometimes he speaks, like in these three examples, and they come into being. At other times he speaks, he commands. It's a different kind of speaking. He commands uh, the earth to bring out foliage. But we just learned about the Spirit of God. Now, what did that communicate? We explained that the Spirit of God that is fluttering over the waters uh, represents the spiritual in contact with the material. It touches and withdraws. Touches and withdraws. It's present here with us. Uh, It is that aspect of God, which is his presence in this world, with God remaining essentially above the world, but also within it. Now, the creating itself is being run from God's abode in heaven. That is the picture that's being communicated. So when we talk about things in heaven, God says, let them be, and they are. When we talk about things on the earth, he says, let the earth bring out foliage, and so forth, and so forth. So, it's the, the, the execution may be either in heaven or on earth. It happens differently. Uh, it's been pointed out that saying, let there be, and it was, is an expression of the ease with which God can make things. All it takes a saying and, and that indicates his absolute power and mastery over nature. So here, there are two different types of saying. There's a saying where things come to be, that is in God's abode. And there is saying which he runs through intermediaries. Whatever those might be, angels, the spirit of God, which is present within the world, on the face of the waters. But he commands and then the commanded party brings out what is told to do. And the, the earth brings out foliage, and trees bring out fruit, uh, and so forth. So, just quickly to review uh, the previous lectures, we, we spoke about how the layout of uh, the first few sentences uh, indicates to us that God is above heaven and earth. He creates them. 
but there is also a presence of His, the Spirit of God within the world. And we're related to, to Isaiah's theology of God who sits in heaven, uh, but the earth is His footstool. So, in other words, His lower expression, His feet, so to speak, are present in this world. And that is the picture we get here. God makes things be in heaven. Light, firmament, heavenly bodies. The rest he runs through command, where he is less present, which is not really his place. I do want to point out that according to this, we have to explain why uh, it says not only that there should be a firmament in verse 6, but it says that God made the firmament. And I, I would give a simple answer. It does require more thought, but you know, offhand I would say that the firmament is what actually separates the heaven and the earth. So it has two components. It has the heavenly component, that is the surface that is looking toward heaven on top, and there is an earthly component which is that which is facing the earth. Therefore, it has a combined nature, and it's both made, that's the heavenly component, the one that's facing heaven, and the one under it, that part of it, uh, which is facing the earth, requires that it should be made. All right. Let's, let's quickly go over this, and then I will briefly present the ideas for uh, the next uh, podcast. So, on the first day, God created the light, and this light was a spiritual light, was the light of discernment. When we grasp an idea, and we see the difference between two things, for example, there is no physicality to it. We can grasp connection between something in China and something in London very easily. It does not require any kind of time uh, between them or any kind of physical distance. So this is what we might call the light of discernment. That light, which also allows us to uh, supersede and overcome darkness, which by definition is where you cannot see anything, is what was created on the first day. This is the idea that I believe the story is trying to present to us. And the fourth day, the physical um, by heavenly bodies that uh, put forth light were created. Uh, that doesn't mean that there wasn't some kind of an illumination uh, present between first and third day. Uh, it is sufficient to have created the light of discernment for there to be also the ability to tell the difference between physical light and darkness. But essentially, uh, the light of the first day and the light of the fourth day were not the same. That light of discernment was put away for the righteous uh, to be fully enjoyed in the future world and to be used perhaps not always for enjoyment and perhaps not always for happy conclusions, but it was made to function in this world in the intellectual, moral, uh, non-physical sphere.
Now, another concept that comes out of this analysis is that of separation. Um, God separated between light and darkness. That's the following verse. And then he was able to call something day and something night. We will see the concept of separation repeatedly coming up in the creation story. And in fact, um, it may be essential to a very Jewish idea of separation between the holy and the unholy, between pure and impure, and very, uh, various other types of separations, and underline a number of uh, legal concepts. Uh, we will draw on the theology of uh, Eliezer Berkowitz, uh, writing on this topic, and we'll consider more how that would relate to the presentation of the story of creation. Thank you very much for listening, and may you have a blessed day.